Uh, welcome to all nations. We're glad that you're able to uh, join us for worship today. Um, you know, last week I, I, I preached on forgiveness, and I think uh, a lot of people dynamically <laughs> was interacting with that sermon, and, uh, you know, we can spend an entire series talking about forgiveness. Uh, it was just one sermon, and I appreciate the messages and the conversations that I've had. I know it's not an easy topic, uh, but I'd love to talk to you more if you have any more questions, and I encourage you, if you're going through a relational conflict, to uh, be open and talk with another, uh, maybe older brother or sister in this congregation to kind of help you through that. But uh, I appreciate the response from uh, last week's sermon. Uh, you know, traditionally and historically, as the church enters into uh, the month of December, we celebrate Advent, or we observe Advent, which means, in Latin, literally coming, coming. Uh, we are waiting in anticipation for the coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, he came as an infant baby uh, in humility, uh, and he came knowing that he was going to suffer. And so this is a very important time for us as a church to uh, observe Advent, because uh, we can get lost in uh, how the world kind of interprets Christmas. But we want to uh, focus on uh, the fact that Jesus is coming. Uh, and this, uh, for the next several weeks, we're going to be in a series called Emmanuel. God with us, uh, his presence uh, with us. And so this is a very important time. And so uh, what we're going to look at throughout Scripture is how God reveals himself, how he makes himself present and dwells with his people in various different seasons of uh, his people and different ways that he uh, reveals and exposes himself. Uh, and so I'm really excited for this series as we uh, reflect and are looking forward to, to Christmas uh, and so today, uh, we're going to go back uh, to the very beginning of creation, because that's where it all starts. Uh, we're going to see God's original plan for creation, uh, but more specifically, uh, his plan and design for us, humanity. Uh, we want to look at the specific uh, space that he created for us. And what we're going to see is a profound expression of God's presence uh, with the first man and woman in the garden. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to go ahead and just read one verse today. Uh, that doesn't mean the sermon is going to be short, uh, but uh, Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 8. Let's give our full attention as I read uh, God's holy word for us. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles or your apps, it's going to be up on the PowerPoint for you to follow along. And they heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Uh, this is God's word. Amen. See, the aim of every religion, uh, generally speaking, is to answer the question, how do I get to God? How do I get to God? What must I do to be with him in heaven? And each religion offers its own set of solutions, right? Be a good moral person. Make sure your, your good outweigh the bad. Uh, deny yourself of all earthly, earthly pleasures. Live in simplicity. And if you do these things, you'll find your way back to God. Uh, and so the fundamental assumption in, in religion is that there is a separation, uh, that there is this gap that needs to be filled between humanity and God. And so generally speaking, religion attempts to build a bridge to God or back to God. Uh, but another question that I think we need to consider and ask is, before asking how do I get to God, is, is why would I want to be with God in the first place? Uh, what's, what's so good about being with God? What does that mean? What does that look like? Um, see, unfortunately, many of us, we, we will have a hard time asking, answering that question. Why, why would you want to be with God? Why heaven? 
Uh, that's where God dwells. Why would you want to be with him? And unfortunately, many of us uh, see God and religion as just a means to an end. A means to an end. We're looking for blessings. We're looking for a painless eternity, a blissful um, eternity to, to be with God. And, and, uh, and so what religion becomes is just a means uh, to our end. I want to be blessed. I want to have success. I want my children to behave. I want good health, comfort. Now, these aren't, these aren't bad things to want, uh, but what happens is God becomes simply a means to those goals that we have for ourselves. And so religion at its core is just self-seeking, uh, self-serving, self-satisfying. And it's, it's a system that we manipulate to get what we want. Uh, A.W. Tozer in his book, The Counselor, he, he writes this uh, very profound quote. Uh, and it's going to be up on the screen. I want the presence of God himself, or I don't want anything at all to do with religion. I want all that God has, or I don't want any. Uh, I think this is a very profound uh, statement that Tozer, uh, not Tower, A.W. Tozer makes. Uh, that's probably my mistake, uh, giving to the media team. But he wants God himself. Can we make such a statement? Uh, can you, make a sta- can you make this statement and say amen to that? Uh, again, I think, honestly speaking, uh, many of us were after the things that God offers rather than God himself. And so what does A.W. Tozer know about God that we don't know? What does he know about God that we, we don't know? Uh, see, Tozer understands that it is in God where we find true meaning, purpose, rest, joy, and pleasures forevermore. Why? Because God is the one who created us. We were created by him, for him. We were created to be in God's presence, period, forever. And we see this truth in the very beginning of the Bible. See, in the very beginning, there was no separation. There was no gap that needed to be filled. There was no bridge that needed to be built in order to be with God. We see God and humanity sharing a same, the same space. There is harmony, peace. Mutual love, unadulterated fellowship. And so there are three main ideas that I want us to focus on today. First is this, the design for communion. The second is the forfeit of communion. And lastly, the restoration of communion. So the design, the forfeit, and restoration. So first, the design for communion. You know, my wife and I right now, we're getting ready for our third child. Um, I'm scared. Uh, it is literally the calm before the s- storm, and I think, well, personally for me, I'm a little too relaxed. You know, this is the third time around. We kind of know the routine. Like, I literally haven't done anything in the house to get ready for this third baby. Like, in a month, uh, I'm thinking, actually, the end of this month, we're gonna, the baby's going to come early. We don't even know the gender. That's how much, you know, the third child is kind of getting, uh, <laughs> but, you know, like, it's the third time around, so we're kind of used to it. Um, but what I'm more nervous about with this third child is, is Deacon and Devin. Um, Their kingdom is going to shrink a little bit uh, with this third child as uh, our attention now is going to be divided not only to two, but now to three. And so uh, that's what I'm actually really nervous about. And so when we found out we're having a second child and uh, we're we're planning on, okay, how are we going to do this with Deacon? Uh, What is Deacon's first encounter with Devin going to be, our daughter? And, uh, you know, we didn't really have any plans. We're just like, you know, just bring them along and 
you know, there's a baby sister, and, and that'll be it. But the doctor made a very interesting suggestion. Because, um, you know, what we found out is that when a, a, a child is introduced to their sibling, the trauma that they experience is like being cheated on, like adultery. That's how I, that, I don't know if that's true. Someone can bet that. But, like, that trauma, and actually I've seen it in Deacon. It's a real trauma. And so to lessen that trauma, uh, the doctor suggested, hey, you know, bring balloons bring a cake, and bring a present wrapped by the baby's sister. Or, you know, say, hey, this is from Devin. Right? And I say, think about it, man, that's like, we're lying to our kid. Right? It's like another form of Santa Claus. Oh, yeah, you know, like your baby sister is giving you a present. And so we actually did all of that. We did all of that to make sure that Deacon's first encounter with his baby sister would go well to ease attention. And so the space in which Deacon was introduced to his baby sister was really important for the beginning of their relationship. Now, I don't know how much of that actually worked because they fight all the time, but I understand the point, right? Uh, Space is very important. The environment is very important in a relationship. And this is true for every relationship, right? Dating, friendship, marriage, with our children, with our coworkers, the right environment with the right expectations are necessary in order for a relationship to, to flourish. What we see in Genesis uh, 1 through 3, chapter 1 through 3, is God creating a space where his glory and his presence can dwell. And so God creates light, one to, guide the, uh, the, the, to govern the night, one to govern the day. He creates an expanse between the waters. He creates vegetation. Vegetation. He creates uh, water creatures. He, he creates uh, things that will creep on the earth. And then he finally creates humanity. Uh, the climax of his creation, his, his final touch. And, and, and after each creation, he says it was good, but after creating humanity, the final piece to this space where his presence will dwell, he said it was very good. Very good. And, and so Adam and Eve were created, right? And I want to read for us Genesis chapter 1, verses 23 to 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So what compelled God to create in the first place? What was the reason? Was he lonely? Did he need companionship? Uh, the simple answer is no, because we know that God was the perfect community. Uh, we, we believe in a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There was mutual love, perfect fellowship. This was the perfect community. So God did not need, actually, creation. But why did God then create? And, he, and here it is, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name... Whom I created for what? My glory. Whom I formed and made. See, Scripture is clear. God created out of his own pleasure and to share his glory with creation. See, kings at the time, when Genesis was written, would create images of themselves to represent their power, their glory, right? To share with the world. God, the creator of the universe, the author of life, the eternal one, the everlasting one, out of his pure delight, wanting to share his glory, creates all, all that we see in creation. And the climax of that creation was you and me, Adam and Eve. 
We were created for his glory. And so the garden was created. And what's really astounding in the garden is just this profound, right, uh, communion that we see between God and Adam and Eve. They share the same space, and they're not dead. God is walking in the garden. They're, they're, they're talking with each other. They're literally hanging out together in the same space. And see, see here, we get a glimpse of God's original plan, his original design, and his intent for creation. He created us for a relationship, for communion. It was in his design. But like any good relationship, there are expectations that need to be shared, obligations and requirements. See, open-ended relationships aren't very good because it's unclear. That's how we get hurt. So God creates parameters and obligations for this communion to be maintained. There are conditions within God's design for relationship with us. See, Adam and Eve were given responsibilities. Work. Work the ground. Plant the seeds. Bear fruit. Exercise authority. Have dominion over all creation. And he gave them the responsibility of naming all the animals. And then he also gives them this, this great gift. Make babies. Procreate. Spread my glory. As image bearers, spread my glory all across creation. And there's one more very important command. You must, you must not eat of one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This one tree, he says, do not eat. Right? He's creating parameters and obligations for them to stay in this communion together. And see, although we don't see the word covenant in Genesis chapter 2 or uh, chapter 1 or 3, we see all the workings of a, co a covenant here. Right? There are two parties involved. There are expectation, obligations, and there are consequences if those obligations aren't upheld. That's what you call a covenant, a binding agreement, a commitment. And so if they, were, if, if they obeyed, they would have everlasting life, but if they did not, they would die. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. Right? And so those, those were the, the covenant obligations, and theologians call this the covenant of works the covenant of works, because Adam and Eve had to perform in order to maintain this union or this communion. But the space that God designed is the most ideal space, isn't it? They had actually everything to their disposal, every tree they can eat of. Uh, work was easy, right? As they planned it, fruit will grow. Marriage was good. It was really good. They were naked all the time. And they didn't even care. They didn't flinch. Right? Marriage was good. Um, there was no disease, no hostility from, 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 uh, from the outside creation, from beasts. Things were perfect. God designed the perfect space for communion, for relationships. Why? Well, why, why were they able to experience all these blessings? Uh, it's not so much of the space, but actually the relationship. Everything that God gave Adam and Eve to do was always in relationship, a dependence upon God. Um, and, and that's why the tree is so important. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is so important, and we'll get to that in a little bit. See, God designed his creation to experience joy and delight primarily through a relationship. This communion was a source of blessing. And so we were created for God. And our first parents experienced it. 
but we know that it, doesn't, it didn't last very long. Adam and Eve forfeited their right to this communion, breaking the covenant. Now, this leads us to our second idea, the forfeit of communion. See, God designed the space for communion, but in order to keep it, he required obedience. Right? Theologians call this probation. This was a probationary period. See, many of us, we experienced this at work. I experienced this when I first came to All Nations. There was a three-month probation period where the church leaders in the church, they observed me. They observed, uh, you know, is this guy legit? All that he said on his resume, is it true? Um, is he an adequate uh, teacher of the Bible? All right, so I, they're observing me at this point, and after that three-month pr- probation is done, I get, I get some benefits, right? You, you guys experience this in the workplace, uh, in the corporate world. When I was in Seattle working, I had a probationary period, right? And after probation, certain things kick in, so, solidifying my role, right? Obviously, I can get fired at any time, but you, you understand what I'm getting at. After the three months, you solidify your role. And if you think about this, uh, dating is a probationary period, isn't it? Because you don't belong to each other. Uh, it's until you say, I do, then, then you belong to each other. But dating, that's why dating is so hard and so complicated. It's just a long, drawn-out probationary period, right? <laughs> until you can prove yourself or prove your worth, until you say, I do. So Adam and Eve were on probation in the garden. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil represents that probation. So why does God do this? Why, why, why does God put this tree there in the first place? Now, in the Chong family, we don't spare the rod. And it, that's just code to say, you know, we, we discipline our children. Uh, we have an object that we discipline our children with. Now, Deacon and Devin, they think that they run the house sometimes. They're little, little, little gods. They, they think they're little gods. And they, they can get away with anything. But that's not true. And a symbol of that is that rod that we have, Right? Every time I make a move towards it, they know they don't have the final authority. Jane and I, we have the final authority in that house. They do not rule the house. See, God gave them this tree to, to tell them that truth. You guys have dominion. You guys have authority, but it's not final. I am God. You guys are my vice regents. You guys are my representatives. But I have the final authority. So that tree is there. Secondly, God wanted a true communion. He didn't want a pre-programmed robot for them to just, for Adam and Eve just to love God. So there has to be a test. True love, there needs to be a choice in order for us to experience true love. If there was no choice, then it's just a pre-programmed robot uh, that, Adam, uh, that God created. Right? So that's why this tree is important. And lastly, and I think this is the most important truth of why the tree is there, to tell us that obedience to God will lead us to everlasting joy. God is the one who designed us. God is the one who designed this creation. Who better knows to, how to live this life in this world than God? And so God gives us a blueprint. He gives us rules. And to say, if you follow them, you will experience the fullness of joy. And that's why the tree is there. The condition was, don't eat from this tree, and you shall live. You have every other tree to eat from. Just don't eat that one, or you will die. See, Satan, in the form of the serpent, came and tempted Eve, questioning God's command. Did God really say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? Already, serpent is twisting God's word. Eve corrects 
Satan says, yeah, you know what? God actually told us we can eat, but we cannot touch or eat from this tree. And then Satan says, you know what? God's holding back. If you, eat this, if you eat this fruit, God knows that you'll become like him. You'll become like God. That, he's holding back. He's not really wanting you to experience real joy, real life. And so uh, Eve t- took a look at the fruit, saw that it was good to eat, ate it, gave it to Adam. Boom. The conditions, the obligation, the covenant was broken. The covenant was broken. They forfeited their right to communion at this point. And it's an enticing proposition, isn't it? Eat it, you'll be like God. That, that's, that's a great deal, right? What happened? Both their eyes were open. And for the first time, they looked, on, looked at each other naked, and there was shame. So they covered themselves with fig leaves. And something profound happens. Verse 8 again. And they heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. God's presence, when once was a delight, now becomes a threat. There's insecurity. There's fear. And so they hide from God's presence. Something, something really wrong has happened here. God's presence was no longer a delight. It was a threat. And there was fear and insecurity. There was no longer this communion to be enjoyed. Their act, Adam and Eve, their sin was treason. It was rebellion. They wanted to overthrow God on his throne and take the throne. That's what sin is. Sin is very simply, we want to be God. We want to determine for ourselves what's right and wrong. I want to make my decisions. I want autonomy. I want nothing to do with the creator God. And so I I will live my life according to the way I want to live it. I'll, I'll discern what's right and wrong. I'll do things my way. And this idea, this idea is now imputed and transferred to all of the rest of humanity. We are born with this natural inclination for self-glory, for self-serving purposes, to be self-governing, which best explains if you want to understand why the world the way that it is, what best way to experience than selfishness, self-glory, wanting to be self-governing, self-ruling? This world is messed up because of this very sin that we want to be the final authority. Right? We want to proclaim ourselves to be God, and so we fight, we hurt one another, we cheat others, we view ourselves superior than others. And this is the result of Adam and Eve's sin. It is now transferred to all of us. Now Adam and Eve is cursed. Instead of blessing, they are cursed because they're cut off from the source of blessing. Work will no longer come easy. It will be very frustrating and toilsome. Relationships will not be easy. Marriage will be difficult. Husband and wife will be, will be fighting for position in that relationship, a power. They want power. Alienation from God, alienation from one another. Now, creation itself will now be pitted against us. Hostility, disease, cancer, natural disasters. Instead of blessings, all of creation will be now cursed. But worst of all, they'll be cast out from God's presence. 
Genesis chapter 3, God casts them out, and he has a sword there, a flaming sword, guarding guarding them from never entering back into the garden. Now their existence will now be in a harsh environment. They'll be constantly wandering, restless, longing for the garden. That's going to be the rest of history. Humanity is restless, wanting that garden experience again and seeking it out. And this is our experience today. We are all pursuing and seeking the garden. Believe it or not, we are. Wanting to feel safe and secure, to be filled and satisfied. One quote that I want to share with you is this. The man who rings the bell at the brothel unconsciously does, does so seeking God. The man who rings the door at the brothel is unconsciously seeking God. He's seeking the garden, wanting the garden, safety, security, fulfillment, satisfaction. Now, we may not be ringing the bell at the brothel, but many of us, we look to our careers, our children, our grades, our spouses, our friends, relationships, others' approval, financial success to bring us security and satisfaction. We, we, we attempt to create for ourselves a space for safety and security. And so we start building our own little kingdoms, trying to recapture this garden experience. But we always come up short, don't we? We always come up short, feeling a little bit more empty, a little bit more dissatisfied, a little bit more discontent. Why? Because we're looking to created things, created things instead of the creator for the security and safety. Right? At best, at best is temporary satisfaction, temporary happiness. But we keep looking, <laughs> we keep reaching, wanting to find the garden again. And this is our experience. And it's, it's exhausting, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it just so tiring? Relationship after relationship, conflict after conflict, job after job. Isn't it exhausting? That's because we were never meant to commune with creation. We were never, we were never meant to commune with created things. We were meant to commune with God. That, that was God's design for us to be in a relationship with him to be in his very presence forevermore. Augustine, you know, this is a quote that we probably all heard, but I want to share with us once again. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. It's true. The statement is true. God created us for himself, and we're going to be restless until we find, find, it, in God once, uh, find it in God once again. So communion was forfeited. They were, they were excommunicated, banished from the garden. But this is not how the story ends. This is not how the story ends. So we'll close with the restoration of communion. See, after the garden, God in his sovereign grace and out of his goodness does not completely abandon Adam and Eve and, and the rest of mankind. He will provide a space. He will provide another space for his presence to dwell with his people, but they will be often dis- be in disguise. A burning bush, right? The pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, his very presence being with Israelites in the, in, in, in the wilderness, the tabernacle, the temple, 
God will supply and, and provide a way for his presence to dwell, but it is not permanent. It is temporary. But out of his goodness, out of his love, when he did not even have to, he offered himself to dwell with his people, to show a glimpse of his presence. And everyone, the rest of, uh, uh, of history tells us that we're waiting. We are waiting for that permanent place for God's presence to dwell, for us to be back with God in that garden experience. So the question is, how is this communion going to be restored? How are we going to experience what Adam and Eve, before the fall, how they, what they experience? See, in order for communion to be restored, right, the curse needs to be lifted. The sins need to be dealt with once and for all. See, the covenant of works is actually still in play. The covenant of works is still in play. Someone needs to come and deal with that covenant of works. Someone has to succeed where Adam failed, in obeying God's will, in passing the probation. And what we see in Matthew 26 is we see another person in the garden, Jesus Christ in the garden of Gethsemane. He too will be tested. He's about to get betrayed, taken away, to be crucified on that cross. The greatest test was for him to bear the wrath of God. And so he prays to God. He's sweating sweats of blood. He says, God, may you take this cup away from me, but not my will, but your will be done. God, take this away if you can. This is too much for me. For me to bear the judgment and the condemnation and the wrath of God is just too much for me to handle. But not my will, but your will be done. Only if Adam and Eve said that in the garden, how different would life be? Not my will, but your will be done. See, with his eyes set on the cross, the blessed one who passed the probation will now become a curse on that cross to make a permanent, habitable space for God's presence to dwell. See, Christ fulfilled the covenant of works, and he offers you and me a better covenant, a covenant of grace. Do you see that? To establish not a temporary not a temporary space, but an eternal, everlasting space for communion. See, Romans chapter 5, verse 17, for if, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the better Adam, the ultimate Adam, the second Adam, who succeeded the failure of our first parents. See, Christ restored our, com our communion by lifting the curse of the law, making payments for our sins, and giving us new life, making us a habitable space for God's presence to dwell by his Holy Spirit. It's no longer the tabernacle, it's no longer the temple, it's no longer the church. Actually, God's presence dwells within us. We are now we get experience Emmanuel, God with us, through the power of his Holy Spirit. This is the gospel message. This is the Christmas message that we ourselves, within our own hearts, becomes the dwelling place, the temple of God, where he resides in us. Wow. This is, this is good news. 
We don't have to be chasing. We don't have to be constantly reaching. God came to us. He condescended to us. He gave himself to us. So how do I get him? How do I get God? How do I get his everlasting presence to dwell within me? See, we can't earn the right to be in God's presence. We can't earn it. It has to be granted to us. We have to be granted access into God's presence, and that's what he does through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the way to access God's presence. That's why he came. That's why he lived and he died and he rose again. All we need to do is simply accept it. All we need to do is say, yes, I want it. I want God. I've been, want, I've been chasing after these other things. You know what? These things don't measure up. I want God. And so what you do is you repent. You confess your sins. And you receive God himself. Relationship, intimacy. If that's you today, you have not experienced the dwell, the, the, the God's presence in your life and you want to because you're tired and you're exhausted chasing after these earthly things, please come and talk to one of the pastors here. We would love to pray with you and, and help you understand what this Christian life entails. But for those who are Christian today, the gospel tells us that by faith, we are united to Christ. So don't confuse union with communion. They're different things. We are united to Christ. Once we place our faith, we are now united to him. Nothing can change that. Reading the Bible more, praying more, serving more, going on missions cannot change your union. You, you, can't, you can't be less united to God or yes, less united to Christ because you're not serving or not reading the Bible. No, that's not true. That is a false gospel. We are united to Christ by faith, by grace alone, period, and nothing can change that. But communion is a little bit different. Communion is different, guys, because a space is necessary for communion. Mutual interaction, mutual communi communication is necessary for communion. If I didn't talk to Jane at all, there is no communion. We might be united, but we're not experiencing communion. Our relationship is not growing. There is no intimacy. To communion, it takes two parties to interact with one another, to talk, to hear, to be with each other. So many of us were lacking communion with God. You have union, you're lacking communion, a relationship, intimacy. So how do we commune with God? I don't want to challenge our church today. I want to challenge those that call yourselves Christians. I want to challenge you today. See, God offers himself to you fully and completely. All we need to do is just walk in. That's all. How, how do we walk into his presence? How do we experience his presence? We have the word. This is the way that God talks to us. We need communication, right? We have prayer. That's how we talk to God. We also have community. God dwells within, within all of us, and we get to experience God together in relationship. Small groups. Small group is a way for you to experience and dwell within God's presence. Please do so. Uh, this is, this is God way, God's way of saying, hey, I love you. I, I want to talk to you. I want to hear from you. And so I want to challenge us to commune with him. He sets the space for us. 
He makes himself available. It's a matter of accessing and immersing ourselves into his presence. Emmanuel, God is with us. For the next several weeks, I'm so excited for us to unpack and develop more of what it means to be in his presence. Church, brothers and sisters, friends, I want us to experience God's presence, the fullness of joy that he offers within his presence, and not seeking after the things that this world says will give us joy. So let's respond to him now by communing with him. Let's commune with him now. And so I want us to all close our eyes and pray. I want to lead us in, in a time of communing with God. We are united to him, but we can grow in our communion with him. And so I want to give you guys an opportunity to, to pray, uh, to talk to God, uh, to exercise uh, communion with him. And so let's pray. Um, there are some of us here that, that struggle with intimacy and, and relationship with God. Can I ask you guys just to, just to be honest with God? God is hard. It's difficult. But we can pray, God, give me a greater desire. Give me a greater appetite for your word. Great, give me, grant me a greater desire for prayer. Give me a greater desire just to be with you. Give me a deeper affection for you. So you could pray that prayer. Whatever is weighing on your heart today, whatever burdens that you brought to this, uh, to this uh, place, I want to give you guys an opportunity to, to leave, uh, just lay it all out to God. Just, just talk with him. Just be honest. You don't have to use spiritual language, Christianese. Just be real with him. Just talk with him. And I want to give you guys an opportunity to be quiet and possibly hear from him. Okay? So let's, let's spend time doing that, and I'll close this in a time of prayer afterwards. Let's pray together.